So I want to like talk to you about something that's pretty topical um, and, you know, it won't be topical by the time we get this edit out, but uh, that's the Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson fight. Yeah, yeah, like, for I, sure. I, I'm super stoked to see it. I'm, I'm afraid that we're all going to be kind of a little disappointed. Um, you know, we're Have expect- you ever paid for a pay-per-view and not been disappointed by the outcome? Uh, I think I've always like, you know, like sat down with friends and like everybody chipped in 10 bucks or something. Um, but I mean, I'm so excited by it. Um, I'm sure that, I mean, you know, they did yeah. this for a reason. Everyone's yeah, excited yeah. by it. Um, I, you know, I was talking a little bit to my dad and my brothers and um, uh, I asked my dad, I, I looked up what Vegas, the Vegas odds are. And of course they, they have Mike Tyson as a favorite, um, you know, not, it's not huge, but um, you know, he's, you know, that's the, 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 the money, right? Yeah. Um, and my dad has, but he, he thinks Roy Jones Jr. is going to be the, um, the winner. Um, so I'm well I mean so the way I look at it is you have a guy that has consistently been training like Roy has been doing um, fights within the last you know two years yeah right so condition wise he's probably you know better off but I don't know I just and then you just look at a guy like Tyson and his power and we've all seen those videos of him hitting the bag and it's like, fuck, dude, would you be, <laughs> would anybody want to be on the receiving end of that? And that's Absolutely. the thing for Roy. He never, Roy never really got hit because he's so fast. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he's ever had to eat a punch. Certainly not from a guy like Tyson, you know? Yeah. I don't, so. I don't know that that's, that's, not, I mean, I don't, I don't know box. I wish I knew it better, um, especially yeah. in moments like this. Um, I could speak more to it, but um, I do think that, you know, you don't get to be where Roy Jones Jr. is and have not gotten a couple licks, you know, gotten hit pretty hard a couple times. Um, he was slippery, man. If you watch him oh, in his peak, he he rarely got gloves put on him. I, mean, I think I think even people who don't like him say that he's one of the smartest boxers they've ever seen. Yeah. You know, he definitely is, is someone who can transform technique and agility and his intelligence into the moment you know, and actually react in a way that is uh, really, uh, you know, athletic. And unfortunately he never really got his due either, because I think by the time he was like really in his heyday, uh, the focus on like on middleweight fights had, had kind of gone away. Like people were only concerned about the heavyweight champion. Right. And so he's fighting, you know, the, the first fight I remember seeing him, uh, and this was even before I had moved to Pensacola. So I didn't have a dog in the fight at the point, but I saw him fight James Tony on HBO in like 1994, probably. And James Tony was just a tough looking son of a bitch, man. Yeah. He, he came out and he was, he looked a little doughy. People said, yeah, he looks <laughs> a little out of shape. Um, and they say that bit, about Butterbean too, though. Yeah. <laughs> and Roy just, I mean, that fight was a clinic in like how to just pepper somebody and not even get touched. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first fight. And then, you know, he fought a lot of these guys, but there were no real contenders at that middleweight. He fought a, uh, a Vinny Pazienza who was way, way past his prime, uh, embarrassed the shit out of him. And then, you know, by the end of his run, he, when he finally got beat, he still didn't i mean people talk about him being the best pound per pound per pound fighter um but i think if he had come up in that era with like sugar ray leonard and um Hagler and guys like that when people really were focused on what was going on in the middleweight division mm-hmm. uh, it, it may have his his legacy may look a little different I think they all. I think that's one of the the things that that is always said about someone like Roy Jones Jr. They always say, yeah. "Oh, he, he didn't find anybody," or 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 um, oh, uh, if it's if it's not a boxer, they're like, "Oh, well, there you know there wasn't really any other competition at the time." And right. you know, um, someone of his of his skill and ability tends to make other people look that way. Like right. they don't they don't have that. There's no contenders until they get and, beat. Right. Like well, no nobody looks like a contender until they get beat. Right. That's true. And I, I mean, I think, 
you know, there, there are people and they're wrong who say that about Tyson too, that, you know, he didn't really have anybody to fight against, but man, you know, Jesus, he fought, he on. fought some amazing, amazing people. And, well, and, and put people down in the first 90 seconds of the first round, 30 seconds in some cases. I mean, he just, <laughs> those, bull- those are the ones you're upset about. Those bulldozed. are the pay-per-views that you're, yeah, those are <laughs> yeah the but they, they were so exciting. I know. I mean, I was a kid, so like yeah. I wasn't the one shelling out my hard-earned money to see those fights, but man he uh i remember a couple of those fights where he came out and he was knocking people out in like 30 seconds oh it was it was insane bulldogging him yeah no he's and you know he's still one of those people that when you hear you know other people you know like large dudes talk about him they're still very intimidated by him even when he was uh you know in his like i'm smoking pot and i'm a i'm a peace warrior now you know in those days yeah you know that's one of the things and you pointed this out it's one of the things that Roy Jones Jr. said when he first got this contract. Tyson was smoking weed and not working out. And he was like, yeah, no problem. I got this. Yeah, I'll, de- I'll definitely take this check. And yep. then they delayed it for obvious reasons because Tyson wanted to like bulk right. up and stuff. And then he's like, wait a second. <laughs> now, now I have to rethink and this. He's watching Tyson's Instagram too going off. Yeah. But you, what you said is true. And I think that this is this was one of you know my brother's point too is that if, if it goes long, and it's an exhibition, right? So it's not a long fight. But um, if it goes long, Tyson won't have the gas to roll the whole time. You know what yeah. I mean? If, if Roy can dodge him and make him make him really throw punches that that don't connect, then then you know it's it's I, I can see it going to Roy Jones. That's what's scary to me is that it is like slated mm-hmm. as an exhibition match, but you got two guys who are the best at what they do in front of an audience, and yeah. you're expecting them to like not go all out i mean i know they're both have aged out of you know being a a quote-unquote contender right but i mean those those are two guys that are fucking champions and like you said you don't get into that position without being like the hardest working and just something's different about you right like your mental set is just something that i think uh your average person probably can't relate to Oh, absolutely. I mean, no one no one works as hard as those guys do. Even and, and there are people who who are, are accountants that work as hard as they do. They just do it in a different way. Right. And those are those are the same accountants that you um, that in thirty years they're going to know how to do all the tricks. You know, what I mean, these guys are or not they're people. in federal prison for <laughs> yeah yeah the, or that. But right. the, you know these these are two gentlemen that you can't that aren't you're not going to shut down just because they get a little older. The competition doesn't go away. The yeah, drive doesn't diminish. Right. You know. You know. And and when the 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 flip the switch gets flipped especially with Tyson, I think we've seen this so often with him. There is no off switch. And, no. you know, um, and I, you know, um, when he was on, I think it was on the Joe Rogan podcast, he talked about how, or I think he said it was orgasmic um, hurting, <laughs> hurting people, Yeah, you know? And yeah. so, I mean, you know, if you start getting pleasure from something like that and, you know, you have all these, you have the whole world telling saying that you're, you're washed up, that you're no good. And that you're, you've got something to prove. They both have something to prove. And that's a well, dangerous yeah, place. Especially to with the timeline being dragged out like it, like it yeah. has been. So yeah. I think that only builds things. Do you remember Roy's rap song? Um, of course. You mu- y'all must have forgot. Y'all must have forgot. Dude, you can't, you could not have been um, a citizen of Pensacola in the time frame where he was in the Olympics and even a little bit before that. There yeah. was still kind of a buzz about him. He was still a, a minor celebrity. Oh, yeah, he's a hometown I mean, guy. Fred Levin was his was his uh, his agent. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, and like, there's Pensacola has a like a, a history of those kinds of folks. Emmett uh, Smith. Emmett, yeah, being told douchebags and deciding that their their hometown is Dallas, not Pensacola, Florida. Right. And right. and 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 maybe they have good reason for that. Maybe they weren't treated very well by the city to begin with. Yeah. Um, but I think that's not the case with Roy. And if if it was, he definitely um, learned the power oh. of that of that town's kind of. Um, yeah being behind you yeah he never stopped representing pensacola not at all and never stopped kind of putting his money back into his community and you yeah. know like really kind of being engaged with uh the town and his where he came from you know and i think that's yeah. so cool i mean um, i remember seeing him like at a gas station filling up and just being like hey you know and he's like hey yeah and, and this was at like you know this was at his peak so he's still driving around town of course he's in like at that time, it was probably like a, a doped out Hummer or something like that. But he's still riding around town, pumping his own gas and, you know, saying what's up to people. So I always thought that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, for sure. I've, I've never had, and, and I'm certainly he's had a bad exchange with someone, but 
everyone I know that knows him, worked for him, worked around him, worked for a moment, you know, or met him has this, has pretty much. You never hear story. the bad that's stories. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So in, he's in, a, in a time where people, you know, generally are looking for, you know what I mean? They're looking yeah. for that little chink in the armor to be able to take him down a peg or whatever and say well, he, he's, he's not a nice guy or whatever the case may be you know yeah i mean he certainly has has a you know a couple you know scandals that didn't didn't guarantee traction because of that um you know most people don't want to talk shit about him right you know especially not in that town i mean i can't yeah. i can't speak to the world but you know i mean he definitely had a couple things go down that, that weren't the greatest thing for him but luckily at that point he was like an hbo commentator and yeah you know not right. not really looking the same way even but. even cockfighting couldn't <laughs> Ida and all the rest of them man you know it. it's weird how you know we look at what and it's not dogs and that's a different thing for people psychologically but for sure you know, if you look at what you know what how michael vick was treated after what happened to him and then you look at how roy jones was treated after you know the rooster fighting um and i don't know that there was ever any kind of uh i mean it was always just rumor though right like people who think, knew him knew that he was into cockfighting, right. but I don't know that um, I don't know that there was ever law enforcement involved or anything like that. Yeah, I don't that I kind of remember a story coming out at one point that there was something like that, but it's so far in my memory that I'd I'd hate to um, swear to it. But yeah. um, but I mean, Roy himself says that he developed most of his technique that he invented from watching those roosters go at it. Yeah, um, and I think that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I think that's that's where genius arrives, you know, when and and being able to pull things from from you know, it's not it's not completely opposite, you know, it's fighting of some kind, but but it's a, a whole different thing to pull that style out of, you know, right. Make, make that mental leap. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. No, it, it is. It's interesting. So yeah, shout out to North Florida for sure. Pensacola, subscribe, yeah, like subscribe. notifications. No. Did you see that Mark Lanigan is putting out a Christmas album? Uh, um, <laughs> uh, no, this is news to me, but it's. I'm, I'm going to have to pull it up because it's I, it, it's almost too strange to believe. But apparently he's done this before, maybe. Done a Christmas record? Um, it's under the moniker Dark Mark. Are you familiar with this at all? No, not at all. But I will say that I have found his output since Bubblegum to be pretty um, hit or miss. Like Bubblegum's a record that's like the whole thing is amazing, right? Yeah. And then you have the rest of the records after that. I don't find them to be as consistently great. Like there's usually a song that is, you know, yeah. amazing. But the rest of the record isn't, in my opinion, not amazing. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something I didn't know in his catalog like that. Like I would definitely not go seek out a Christmas record no, from this, anyone. So here it is. It says um, it's titled Dark Mark Does Christmas 2020. 2020 has been a dark year. So to end of the year, Mark Lanigan returns as Dark Mark and releases a full Christmas album. <laughs> Six tracks were released as a tour only 12 inch in 2012, which is now rare and impossible to find. He has recorded four more tracks recently and turned it into a full-length album um i don't know i mean it's you ask why uh after reading that was it spin or rolling stone article the interview that he did yeah yeah it was one of the major you know mainstream publications right about um, the book yeah right about his memoir which i've yet to read i feel like we've I read the parts that we're gonna like all, all the parts that were discussing that article in other places maybe are the parts you know i mean like like him fighting with the guys from screaming trees and all that I mean, stuff it's seems, like stuff we knew yeah. yeah stuff we knew and and that he's dragging it back up is weird i mean the stuff i'm interested in is his whole like you know 5g tearing the, the chip, chips out of his so, and shit like that <laughs> right so all that stuff that comes up in that in that interview where he seems legitimate. I mean, I love conspiracy theory as much as the next guy. You know this. Yeah, but you're but not like, tearing apart your TV. No, but some of the shit he's talking about is so over the top, like Eddie Bravo fucking wackadoo <laughs> that I just, I didn't know that he was into that kind of shit, you know? Yeah, um, well, it speaks to his mental headspace. I think that I think that when, yeah. you're, when you're in a questionable mental headspace, you, you things seep into the cracks and... Yep, and fill up yeah. those spaces, man. 
Yeah, it's uh, if if anybody hasn't read that, it, it's pretty easy to find. But he, you know, and in reading it in that in the context of that article, I can see how maybe like if it had been kind of chopped up in bits and pieces, it could make it look worse than than it really is. Then maybe mm-hmm. the full uh, conversation would indicate. But um, after reading that, I'm not surprised that he's doing a weird Christmas record or or anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I can see sure what you mean. That, yeah, it's just uh, he's he's taken a, a strange strange tangent, and um, he's not done anything with Queens in a while, right? No, he hasn't shown up on any of their legit records. They and even on like the like his latest kind of forays into solo records um uh you know i can't think of anything that josh has been on that i know of um but uh you still have that family kind of connection through that you know that that you know that that greater queens of stone age um grouping right well um, and his contribution on some of those records is so integral and like you know having songs for the deaf without him on there would not be the same record obviously oh i completely agree i mean that that it's a it's one of those shows that um or tours that i wish i had seen with mark lanagan and dave Grohl because i feel like yeah you had a nick Oliveira, you had queens of the stone age at that time um clearly they've they've morphed into a still kept the thing going and they're a different band now than they were but um that would that i would love to have seen that um yeah for sure that's definitely a high watermark for that band um like you said they have moved on to do other things but uh after that record i you know i wasn't super into him for a little while uh there was a couple i think um lullabies was the last one that i really like even that one was kind of hit and miss for me and sure, then, i remember having to like 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 tell me to you. listen to it again i'd like yeah. bother you like you know like the you know, like you really have to, you're missing something. You really need to go back into this. Like, and, and I mean, there's, there's tracks on it that I like, but I, as a whole, that album and Air Vulgaris, I still don't connect to at all. It's just, there's nothing on that record that I'd really go back to and go, oh yeah. Um, I, think I probably didn't come back around until like Clockwork. That was the one that I went, oh yeah, this is, I, I like what this is now. Oh, well, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I think, I mean, there are parts to what you're saying that, that aren't aren't for me. I think Lullabies is an amazing record. I think it's just, it follow, it's following in the heels of something that was, yeah. you know, just like you're saying, a high watermark and, and nothing, it wasn't going to ever be, whatever record they put out next wasn't going to be that. And sure. thusly was never going to, excuse me, was never going to live up to that, the conditions that they were being set by the fans and by the music industry. Yeah but um and it was also rebuilding like you're looking at a team it's like literally they won the championship and they lost their yeah. free agents for whatever reason right. and they're rebuilding you know um in yeah. fact people who played on that tour and that record um the bass player for example um aren't aren't people that were ever like contractually with the band yeah yeah, um, yeah. excuse me so um you know uh who played drums on that record was john theodore on then or no, no it was joey castillo yeah joey, joey castillo Kelly. that's yeah. right who was amazing and like great yeah. but I, I have to say that like john for, for the band they are now john theodore is is um yes. i can't i can't wait for the please comment below if you disagree um, um uh but i uh, <laughs> put your address in there <laughs> yeah we'll send you the seven inch um uh no i mean i think without getting too far uh, uh, off the, the t- track we're on John Theodore with what he contributed to Mars Volta and what, you know, who he was. Yeah. Like, I can't believe, Mar- you know, and you look at the thing he did with um, uh, Zach De La Rocha on One Day as a Lion. And, you know, he was just like waiting for a band to pick him up and 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 use him, yeah. use his talent for what it was. And right. I mean, when we saw them, uh, the couple of times that I've seen them with him, I've just been blown away by the, yeah. the what, what that, what that drum sound is now. Yeah, uh, and Joshua, and he can still replicate. Like you know, Dave Grohl is a very um, recognizable player. Like yeah. you know, you hear his drum and you you know who it is. So not only is he adding a new flavor, but he's also able to replicate you know a lot of those songs off of songs for the deaf. Which yeah, no, agree, and not just songs for the deaf, but you know, you have, my God is the sun um, is a um, track that has Dave Grohl back on it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, obviously John Theodore plays that has, I don't, I can't think of a time aside from like the Grammys or whatever that, that you have Dave Grohl back on that song as a live thing. Right. So, um, and I've, I think they played every time I've seen them since then, maybe four or five times. And 
Uh, it's just been, he's, he's amazing. He's, he's such a, I think, and I, it's, it's clear I'm total fanboy for the Queens of Stone Age at this point. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no seeing through that. Right. But, As everybody really should be, but that's, yeah, yeah I, I completely, that against you. no, I completely agree that they're, they're the, they're the greatest thing rock and roll has right now. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and deserving of all their accolades they get. I mean, for sure. Um, they are like the band as a whole is just like fully functioning. All the organs are in, in peak working yeah. order. They like are just they found the right fit. Like Josh was able to, like you said, rebuild and find the right guys for all those parts because. Yeah. And they saw what they had in that band, like being a part of that band is just like, you're actually making rock and roll in a way that people are appreciating and, and consuming. I mean, their records still land at the top of the charts yeah. when they release, you yeah, know, it's and pretty that, incredible. It is, especially in today's landscape of, of music. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think, you know, there are a lot of people, especially our age that pick apart music right now. They're like, Oh, it's just crap. It's just, I'm like, I don't see that. I see, I see maybe you're not supporting the artists that, you know, you're that, you know, you're after. Right. Um, or they're not the, to the popular taste and, you know, so be it. Right. But that doesn't mean that music as a whole is, is, is dog shit right no now. that's that's always a dumb argument I, I i never never bought that i mean if you're if you're looking it's out there yeah exactly totally and that and that, i mean um but it's cool to see them and i mean make some weird choices like mark ronson as a uh, producer for a record and right you know um clearly his fingerprints are there but i think he was smart and kind of got out of the way of that group yeah you know like didn't like go like oh no we what we really need here is more you know more <laughs> you know um or drum and bass yeah right exactly yeah. that's the, or dubstep or whatever yeah um and uh yeah i'm glad um, i didn't do that too either. yeah but i mean i think that that's to his credit as a producer like sure he can go out and make those records that have you know mystical on them that's a fucking killer dance track but you know he also yeah. produced amy winehouse right that's where he right he arrived and i mean you have this crazy cool sound in amy winehouse um a retro even vintage some might say yeah. um so his ability to to be a producer of different things has has, has proven to be true but but yeah. you know um i'm really interested to see what i mean clearly queens of the stone age all of their individual members are all you can see them all doing kind of solo projects at the moment um in the middle of rona um, and they usually take breaks like this um especially you know after the reset of an album and a long tour um luckily they were in the middle yeah. of one anyway so i'm really excited to see what might be coming next from them yeah um yeah i'm you know i'm fiending a little bit um but you know it can't be bad so um speaking of producers yeah we were talking about a specific producer the other day and i thought it might be a good a good lead into that yeah no i think i think you're right i i, I, I want to continue to talk about pro music pro producers because i think that they have this amazing excuse me i'm gonna, i want to continue to talk about music producers because i think they have this they can have this effect on what's going on you know in the example of um uh oh i'm gonna mess up his name jason i'm gonna need your help you know um he's the metal producer he produced slip like just everybody slip sort of slipknot um oh um ross Ross Robinson. Yeah. Ross Robinson. Thank you so right. much. I was afraid I was going to mess up the R's. So, you know, you have the example of him and, and, uh, that he, like, there's a story that he was like throwing candles at Slipknot as they're recording that, that one record. And okay. so, I mean, I, what, where I, what the reason I bring that up is because it's, it shoots, it points to what producers are in the modern, are in the modern era and how they can affect, um, a record and the way it's going to sound. It's right. fabric, it's fabric, if you will. Yeah. So, but so it, I think ahead. there's, um, the the title in itself has uh there's some confusion around what it actually means right and whether you're talking about music or television or movies um the title producer is pretty amorphous sure it can mean a lot of different things um, it can mean that you're the technical hand on things it can mean that you're the money man on things it can well, mean that you're the project manager and that you're just in charge of like making sure that all the pieces get to where they need to go so, it can be just it can just be a um a, a credit line that you got paid for um because right. you just uh, you you helped usher the, the movie into production or whatever right um so, so that this it, fits perfectly with who i want to talk about that's that's interesting because so i want to delve into the definition just a little bit okay because yeah. you're right if you look up the definition of producer because this has often been a query of mine so you look up the definition of producer and you will see that they're usually the person that's that's in charge of getting the money for a project so literally just collecting the money and that that would be executive producer okay okay well so um then then continuing on with that so what i found with the music though so that used to be the case in like the 50s 
or it was it, like it was more project manager like you're saying it was just the person yeah. who pushed the record button and made sure that everybody was there and all that stuff but that changed and probably george martin might have been the first one to become the a part of the fabric of production like that mm -hmm. and then you know in that era you also have um uh uh, what's the guy the hair and the shooting and um uh, <laughs> wall of sound right well yeah right exactly you yeah. know what i'm talking about okay so um i'll think of his name um but you want to talk about rick rubin yes okay so okay well, so i mean i i do and i don't i i think <laughs> we, this well, this all this... stemmed from i don't know a text conversation that we had the other day well so. I, yeah because i wanted to t i was talking about this conversation he had had with sturgill simpson and i really i actually really like the podcast that rick rubin does um the okay. broken record stuff yeah um and i i pretty much like rick rubin too so i when you said you know basically bleep that dude i'm like oh <gasps> I can't, I gotta hear why. Like, I'm just intrigued and you still haven't told me why. Yeah. So let's start, let's start there. Why you don't like Rick Rubin. Okay. I, I, I think I should probably clear that up. I, I was being, <laughs> no, I mean, I you know that I kind of speak. Controversially. Just yeah. Purpose. And yeah. like, I can be a little hyperbolic about stuff sometimes. And <laughs> we, we know that that's, yeah. so I want to be clear that I don't, I don't hate Rick Rubin. Mm. Um, what I will say is I think he is maybe one of the most grossly overcredited people in the music industry. Um, you know, I, I, I will say, I want to, I want to hear more about this, but there is a band um, that's, they're kind of like in the jam bandy side of things and they were, no one's going to really know who they are, um, but um, they were in San Francisco. They were big, they were get, they got a major label record at a time, you know, in the, the, 2000 teens right yeah. um and you know they were being courted by producers they were thinking about self-producing as they had in the past and then rick rubin approached them and they they got the record out it sounds good but they said that if they could they would go back and do it without him because it just because of his schedule and the complications and he wasn't really doing you know like it took them forever to record it yeah yeah um so let's just start it at the the very beginning Ooh, around um, the well, yeah, I mean, that's part of it in the whole the whole hip hop thing, right? I right. think Rick Rubin, especially in the early days, and there are, you know, pioneers of hip hop that will say the same thing, that uh, he has kind of followed this model of somebody coming in and scooping up a movement or scooping up artists and kind of appropriating it and, mm. and, and writing it um culture culture vulturing right yeah i don't okay continue. So, I'm, I'm i'm i feel as cool i'll disagree no big deal continue yeah no and that's that's the point of this right <laughs> uh, so yeah. that's 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 part of it. it although i will say it's a very small part but i think he has um he he gets credited for things that were already happening. You know, if you look at his production credits in these early records, it's not really him. I mean, you got Hank Shockley and, you know, Jam Master J and all these other guys that are really doing the heavy lifting of it. He is simply putting his name on something at the end of the day. And he yeah. does that a lot. And he still does that. Look, so I... Okay, so I'm I'll disagree and I'll go into my um disagreement here. Okay. Um so I don't think he ever says that he like, you know, was like writing raps or making the beats. I mean, he de he definitely made some beats and that's that's irrefutable. Um, you know, but so I think that I think that without him though, he was he was a producer in the in the sense that he was making things happen, you know, money-wise. He was finding other artists. He was doing things that uh that interested they had a passion for. And you know, when you look at the like the Beastie Boys in particular, um, you know, licensed to ill, I think it doesn't happen without him, you know, that you don't have that record being made. Um, it wouldn't uh, sound like it did. Because... It, does, it wouldn't, I don't think he would have it because he, he became a huge part of the mo the motivating factor behind it. Like yeah. the Beastie Boys might not have even made a rap record at that time right. or not the record we have, you know, and he talks mm -hmm. about making it with them and it being more of like this, them trying to make a comedy record you know what I mean? Then, then really trying to make a real, like a hip hop record. And, um, you know, I saw this clip of that Run DMC movie the other day. And um, it's a clip where LL Cool J comes into the studio and they're like, hey, we're not taking any more auditions right now. It's like, so like 
over bad. me over yeah. yeah it's bad yeah. um but but he's in there and he's young young Ruben pre pre buddhist white robes thing right um and you know i think that he is a producer that um sure there's records that got, would, would have gotten made without him but i think there's example there's there's a ton of examples and from all over the musical spectrum that that's not the case you know i mean pr- pr- i don't think producers come like when you're saying that you know the culture vulture thing i i don't think that you know most producers aren't the the people making the thing they just facilitate it happening or like help them like you know like drive a sound in you know and and so i think maybe maybe he gets you know as you said over credited but i'm not sure that's him it's him asking for this over credit i think people may be giving him too much credit no i i i disagree i think he i think he takes the credit and there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of evidence of that and we can get into that too, but. Oh, bring um, it son. Where, where, yeah. no, what's, where's so, your evidence? Okay. <laughs> well, so the next thing is like his production style uh-huh. is basically saying he's, he's aping like at least with the rock records that he, he started being pulled in to produce because okay. of his name and his stature that he held. Um, he's, he's basically saying give me the same uh, sound that Mutt Lang got on these rock records that I love. Uh-huh. Uh, give me the ACDC drum sound. Give me the Led Zeppelin guitar sound. And that's, and that's what it is. And that's what a lot of his records is. And, you know, w- when you talk about the Beastie Boys, all those Zeppelin samples are, mm. are Rick Rubin. Cause those are the two bands that he references a lot is ACDC and Led Zeppelin. Um, nothing wrong with that. Great you know, great uh, benchmarks there, right? Yeah, for sure. What you start to see as his career goes along, um, you start looking at the credits of his career. Now, a lot of these great records that his name is on, um, he's listed as the executive producer. So that's for like Def Jam and Def American, whatever. Like he's just, he's facilitating the finances of it, right? Right. Um, signing a band right so that's that's my contention is that rick rubin is really um an a and r guy he's not a producer from from the standpoint that that i look at it so when we get into these these rock records start looking at start looking at the credits i am i'm I'm looking start looking at who who's engineering these records that you love right you'll start to see some familiar names you're going to see jim scott you're going to see Brendan O'Brien. You're going to see Sylvia Massey. You're going to see a lot of people that are producers. Right. That, that you're saying that are actually, and he's just kind of like, well, yeah. yeah so he, he's taken mm-hmm. on the role. It's more like a, like a movie director, right? Where sure. he's putting the, the pieces in place. And, and th- that's not to say that's not without credit, but like, uh, a great example is uh, the first Black Crows record. See, I'm glad that you brought that up because as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, how are you yeah. going to talk shit about this record that you love so much? All <laughs> like, right, so, so let me tell you the story. George okay. Draculius is, was listed as the producer on it. He's actually an A&R guy too. If right. you look at the engineering credits, it's Brendan O'Brien. That's Brendan O'Brien's record. Yeah, I can tell after the success of that record, after it was a hit, it had like fucking six singles on it or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. After that, Rick Rubin retroactively put his name on there as producer because it was doing well. It says it says in Wikipedia, credited on the out sleeve only after the album became successful. Um. <laughs> right. So, so, and he's done this a lot. So, you know, one of my favorite records uh, that I still listen to, people can mock me for. Um, is is the second Danzig record. That it's record good. is so fucking good. It sounds, the drum sound on it is fantastic. It's just a really, really good rock and roll record. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can Google Brendan O'Brien. and all that. It's, it's Brendan O'Brien. And I think Sylvia Massey was on that one too. Uh, yeah, I don't see, I don't see where the, there's credit for that. But, um, um, you know, I, I, I think we go back to Brent, how, how amazing Brendan O'Brien is. Well, I mean, and I'm not like going to second dis- time we second show we brought him up in. I know, and I'm not going to dispute that with you. I think, um, I think it only makes my point more for me. Yeah. Um, well, it also well, says it also tells me that if a record's produced in Atlanta, there's a good chance that he had something to do with it. You know, especially a rock record where they, the musicians maybe, go. To maybe Atlanta. back back then, 
Yes. Um, well, honestly, on almost every Pearl Jam record right now, you'll see that they recorded some of it in Atlanta. Is that right? And, and I, I'm 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 willing to bet if we go down the the rabbit hole with that, we're going to find that they're recording well, at the studio. And yeah, I mean, Mastodon did one of their more recent records. He was the producer on it. Um, not my favorite Mastodon record, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so so you may be right. They may be doing a lot of that here. Um, I'm just looking at this and I see. So the, the mm -hmm. one, the one on that list that I can't, for whatever reason, I, I just, I, I'm going to have to give it to him is uh, deloused in the comatorium. Like, yeah. okay. So Omar is listed as co-producer on that. And we sure. all know that he control freak. He, yeah. yeah. Well, he knows what he wants and like he right. has crafted the sound of that band. Um, so that he's listed as co-producer on there. I'm not surprised, but it just makes me wonder what Rick Rubin's role was in that record. Cause that's that, I mean, that's like, a to me, that's one that stays on the wall. The oh, is like, that's you know, an amazing record. And, I mean, still to it holds day, up today. Like if you play, and, if you play it for someone who hadn't heard it, they'd be like, Oh, you could tell them it came out this year and they would believe you. Yeah. There's yeah. no, there's it's nothing a, that's an incredible it. record. It really is. And yeah. even if you're, you know, for somebody that's not like, into guitar music or or prog or like heavy rock or whatever you want to kind of categorize that as yeah. um i think you could sell that record like if you yeah. put it uh subliminal like at a really low level on in the background mm -hmm. and some of those uh some of those melodies start to kind of worm into the brain totally and you're like uh they do that thing that tool used to do where there's only like one repeat of of the chorus or the refrain or whatever so you're right. like waiting for it and it's and you so good it. you're waiting for it waiting for it and then it hits and you're like oh yeah that's that's the they, good stuff they do the other thing that's interesting is there's on those records you can find kind of examples of almost everything maybe even into like a little bit of pop like to the point where yeah i was closing um a restaurant i was working at one night and a friend was coming to um uh, how do i say this appropriately bring me something and so um <laughs> and so um uh i'm you know playing uh devos in the commentary and it gets so like a t i think it's televators or whatever yeah the friend's like oh and this person was really into um electronic music and they're like oh are you playing trance tonight and i'm like kind of yeah i mean yeah. it's like that I, that's what this is so that makes sense i mean so, so when did that record come out like 2000 or uh, 98 or something no I think it, tremulant would have been like more 98 ish but yeah, I think 2001, looking, 2002, maybe. I'm looking for the, um, yeah, it was, yeah, 2003. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, uh, same year they produced 99 Problems. So uh, the thing I would like to say is that there's probably plenty of acts that um, had a, had this experience with, with Rick Rubin, where the one you're describing, but there are plenty of people who give him a lot of credit. And they're, they're bands that don't need to do that. Then, you know, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers would, 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 toss accolades upon his door brendan um, o'brien produced those records too <laughs> i'm serious look up i, I don't blood disagree. sugar sex magic okay I, brendan o'brien I, I believe you there's no uh, there's i'm not arguing the facts yeah. I'm, I'm arguing a thing that that you you and i can't know it's yeah, like what that true. what the effect was in the room at the right. time and you, know, and you know what it is i hate the whole fucking guru shtick something about that like uh it, it makes me icky I know it like, does. I, know, I, I love that about he, you too. He's one of those dudes that like, I can't believe Rick Rubin didn't get me to. There had to have been some kind of. Yeah. I, maybe he's not. Maybe he's, maybe he's not. Maybe because maybe he's, he's the perfect thing. candidate for that. You know? Yeah, well, okay. So I, I don't know, man. I tend to, he, t he tends to land in the right side of the street for me. Like he owns um, uh, like the house yeah, that the. He's he, showing uh, he, with, with Russell. Who knows well, he, what him and Russell were up to? He he owns the house that the band recorded, you know, Shangri-La. Yeah. So he owns that house. He also owns one of Bob Dylan's um, tour buses from like the 70s that's okay. parked there. So I mean, he got a boner already. Uh, yeah, dude, he's got like, I just want to go hang out at the house. Like he, Rick Rubin doesn't even need to be there. But like, yeah. you know, if, I mean, I can just, Shangri-La is the house where the band, they're figuring out they're breaking up, but they're recording in Los Angeles and they're living there with their families. They're who, having who family are we talking dinner. About? the band the band right yeah right. so so they're they're the the progenitors of this house um yeah. they put the studio in there and all that and um you know the fabric of that is just so amazing um i think 
Yeah, there's something to be said for preserving the history of all that, I think. That, absolutely. And I think that your your problem with Rick Rubin's Rick Rubin is not um, a new problem with you and um, people who aren't artists <laughs> but are the facilitators of art, you know. Right. And I think yeah. I think I think traditionally you've you've looked at as long as I've known you, you've looked at those people um, with a little distrust and i love that about you i think it's a good thing i think it's it's healthy to be to to be a artistic creative person and have a little bit of distrust for those who are making money off of other artists right, right. yeah for sure I think, I think that's a good thing it's it's healthy and it's good to have people like that or in your circle yeah um you know that don't get swept up in the the bs of personality and what have you um yeah. Um, and then there's me. And I think that, um, uh, you know, I think he brings something to the table when he um, is in the room. And even if you and, and more power to him to recognize that um, he's not the best engineer in the world and that he needs really good people and he knows who they are. Yeah. And he knows he knows who the people are to bring into the room to make that shit happen. Um, I mean, that's what that's what he's there for, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, and if just his like guru vibe thing makes it all work for everybody, great. I mean, he's definitely produced a lot of records I don't like, you know what right. I mean? Um, and, you know, he's like the first, I'm pretty sure it's the first episode of the um, podcast, the um, uh, Broken Record with him and Malcolm Gladwell. And it's, they're talking about M&Ms. Like the, at the time it was his new record. Um, and... I couldn't see what all the hype was about, you know, when they were talking about the recording of the song, I was like, Oh, okay. You know, great. You know, yeah. um, nothing another against, Eminem record. Okay. Yeah. Nothing against them. It just right. didn't, I just wasn't, I just couldn't catch the same buzz that they were on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't catch it, but I will say that you can hear the reverence for Rick Rubin when artists who he talks to not, not aren't necessarily even, people that he's worked with you know um yeah. they just know and they have they have a, a, a high level of reverence for uh him and a respect and i think that that to me that says a lot and they're usually and they're artists that that i appreciate um and the, the two that i can think of off the top of my head are Sergio simpson who i know is no yeah doesn't suffer fools right, right. Yep. and then the other one is tyler the tyler the creator who is i'm not a super huge fan of uh, you know his art necessarily but i am a fan right. of his i like his vibe i don't necessarily yeah. listen to his music sure. right. i feel the same way and his grind is so amazing and yeah. he's not afraid to just go on out come out left field because it's how he's feeling you dropping know? the gay freestyle on <laughs> on the radio was like fucking all-timer yeah i mean amazing uh, it, you know just not like just... i'm gonna fuck with so many people right now well and i think you know they're I think his early output definitely had that vibe to it. Like he was trying to, he was trying to get noticed by causing, causing problems. Yeah. But, but I think the newer work speaks for itself in that he is clearly making the art he wants to make, you know, and not necessarily it's going to sell a bunch of records, even though it has done that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like his uh, button pushing quality. <laughs> I bet you do. Um, but uh, with that said, so I think that my point would be that looking to these artists um, yeah. who, 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 you know, and and that's a that's a fair, that's totally fair. Uh, what I would say is there there are a lot of artists that don't feel that way. I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think you could be in, in a position like Rick Rubens and, and look at this list of records that he's been involved with and no. have not pissed people off. No, and and it, I think a lot less of it is is. It's it's probably more from omission than anything else. Like yeah. him just. Uh, being kind of the the flagship of the record but not really have anything to do with the actual production of it i could right. be wrong about that but it that seems to be i've i've heard other people say the same thing that we were talking about earlier where like um he's supposed to be producing this record and he shows up and he just you know the engineer is running the show right he might, he might check in every once in a while you right. know say how's yeah. it going let me hear something, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things I, I heard was that, you know, in this particular band, and I'll, I think we should revisit this with, with a little more info too, but like with this particular band, um, Howlin' Rain is their name. And with them in particular, I think it was, he got so invasive in the songwriting process Yeah. that it was um, hard because, you know, like the thing that stands out in my mind is, you know, um, there was a line that, and they said, babe on it, you know? And, um, uh, Rick Rubin was just like that's just so overused and trite like I hate that word you know yeah. like let's let's find a different word right and you know I mean 
I just that's it's still stuck in my head to this day because it's like mm, yeah um this isn't Dylan Thomas like you know this isn't Sylvia Plath you know this this is just right it's a rock and roll song like let's not let's not overthink the use of babe um yeah. Uh, but, well, but some I, of that it's, it, it kind of rings of like somebody who's not involved in the process, just trying to like put a little. I mean, I'm sure you've worked with people like that where um, they're not really involved, but they feel like they have to justify their involvement by adding like a little, a little spice or something, and it's not always the best idea. Right. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I think it's it's you're going to run into that no matter what. Um, I think, especially in any creative process. Um, yeah. There's only so much hanging back any any truly creative person can do, yeah. um, and so uh, or just get out of the way entirely. And so I, I do agree that that making the the case for your uh, continued involvement um, can be you know little things like that. Right, right. Well, that's probably enough about old Rick. Um, I'm now. sure I'm sure he's not too worried about what some jackass in his basement has to say about him anyway. So no, just, no. Let's just, just suffice to say that I have much more appreciation for somebody like Steve Albini, who still like charges the same to produce a record as, you know, he did in 1988. And, you know, well, the thing just that he, getting on the waiting list. Yeah. The, the thing that he did with Nirvana and, and Europe was really cool. Um, yeah. You know, where he, where basically he told them, you know, and, and there was this, you know, high, huge um, budget record, and you know he was like this is gonna they're gonna ruin this (laughs) yeah yeah well we're not gonna like what we do yeah and he gave them this you know like he got offered this huge you know check and he said look this is my fee yeah anyone who charges you that much is stealing money from you yeah and let's just do this thing and he was like let's when we will record in a week anyone who's taking longer that than that if you don't have if the songs are written is stealing money from you basically um and uh i think that's Steve albini is a real motherfucker that's that's the fucking dude you i mean cannot... that, that's like the he, he doesn't put his fingerprint all over shit he likes to record live that's his thing like if you want an analog live recording with most of it done in a live room he's your guy and he's gonna charge you the same rate he charges the same rate that he charges um for to just use his engineer yeah, so he's basically I mean, just engineering the record for you, and it's affordable. Like if you're, I don't know, if you're like a small touring band and you want to put out an EP, you can go record with Steve Albini. It's affordable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you can, like you said, if you can get on the list, right? Um, yeah. uh, and and he's not a person that's just going to suffer anybody either. You know, he's, that's he's, true. He has to like your music. For, yeah, he's he's a super curmudgeon. Like, I mean, all the interviews. I know you do. I know he fits right up your alley. I don't know why you guys aren't hanging out already. I um, no, I think he probably he's, wouldn't like me, but that's okay. Well, curmudgeons tend to rub rub other curmudgeons the wrong yeah, way. That's um, true. Uh, no, I think I think you're right. I mean, I'm not always a fan of the stuff he's done, but like, I mean, I think that that what you're saying is true about him. He deserves all the accolades and respect he gets, and he, he stays true he to his game. He is not. He's a Jesus lizard liar and. That's all you have to say. <laughs> I mean, it's not all you have to say, but it's a it's a pretty standout thing. All I have to say. Yeah. Well, he's you know he's all over that Chicago sound, so that, yeah. that makes sense for sure. So, um, I I don't know if you've seen this or not, but you're familiar with the um, the skateboarding truck brand Independent, right? Of course. Yeah. Long standing NHS company. Um, basically, the the first name in skateboarding trucks for sure i mean but, they're like that shirt that everybody wears who's never even touched a skateboard right truck. you can get yeah you know zoomies is selling their shirts this that and the other right so apparently um recently they've decided and they've succumbed to uh pressure on social media to remove the alize cross from all their stuff Ooh. because why because people were saying it's an iron cross and it's a fascist symbol and this, that, and the other. And so rather than, you know, doing the outlaw skateboarder thing that they have championed for fucking 30, 40 years, however long they've been in business, they folded. They're a corporation, (laughs) man. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. But they're also, they're still owned by NHS. 
Um, NHS is a is a bigger corporation, but they're all under the same banner. You know, um, they've not sold to like uh, I don't know, like a Vanity Fair or something like Vans has, right? They're right. still pretty well rooted in um, in skateboarding. Yeah, but they're still based that, in San Francisco. You know, to say that there are not suits in that room who have no like who who have no never ever been any kind of anywhere near a skateboard or have sure. or have touched that cult that culture who are worried about their mortgages and shit like yeah would be unfair so, like there's so not how, people how much pressure do you have to apply to somebody to have them remove an icon that they've used for almost 40 years or 40 or more i don't know i guess this much you know um whatever this much is and yeah. i think in this era it doesn't really take that much you know, and really because there can be people who have no knowledge of the issue. And all you have to tell them is they're using this fascist symbol and they're like, I'll sign the I'll sign that. I'll yeah, I'll tweet at them, you know, and that's that's all you really need with without people really understanding what's going on. You know, um it it does sad me. I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. It it just it just bums me out. Well, you I think you need that um you need somebody who's still like a, like a CT Peralta, just as an example in, in the skateboarding community, he's yeah. not the best example, but you need somebody who's still in charge that can say, fuck you, you know, um, right. I don't care. I don't care. And I, right. I, I'm not sure that in, independent has that, especially because, you know, there's probably a division that's dedicated to getting their t-shirts into target, you know? So that's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. You can't sell t-shirts with, so, and, and I think it's interesting that they didn't bother to try to make a distinction that, um, it's not an iron cross, right? First of all, um, it's it's called a cross alize, and it's from you know it's from France. It's it's a different thing. It's called a footed cross. Um, it was never used as a Nazi symbol or a symbol of fascism or anything like that. It was it's a religious symbol, which you know, I guess in this time and era, people can take umbrance with as well, but. Um, I don't know. It just seems so knee jerk and, and dumb. Well, and where does it stop? Like what, what, when does it, when does, when do we say um, that just because a symbol offends 10 people that um, um, it's too bad. So sad, you know, like when, when, and, and when, when I do thought we... if, if, if any, if any industry, you know, w would be in a position to, to say, you know what, you know, fuck off this that's not what it is go fuck yourself right it, it would be skateboarding because growing up that's what skateboarding was to me now it's that's not what skateboarding is anymore i don't think but well i think if you had an operation like um birdhouse or something like that where the 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 buck stops at tony hawk and i'm not sure that that's exactly the case anymore but you definitely have like plan b where you know like um i'm pretty sure that's lance mountain right plan b is lance mountain no, no it's not the firm and okay. uh, black okay. label Okay, but so those are both um, under the umbrella of, of that what, whoever Toy Machine's under too. Um, but, no, that's uh, Tom Yetto, but we're 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 going down a bad rabbit hole here. Um, okay, well, so so my point being, yes, Black that, Label is is a great example, right? Because if you, if you have you have like, still fucking screen prints boards in his garage, you know what I mean? Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So, so you have somebody like that where they that they're looking around and they go, "Well, I'm the integrity of this is much more important to me than." selling t-shirts but in a corporate boardroom where the the in line is enriching shareholders um you're not gonna get you're not gonna get that kind of um you know steadfast approach right yeah that's so, i mean I that's mean, it's it's big business now you know nike nike's involved all the big shoemakers are involved now there's actually very few um like skate only companies that manufacture shoes now because nike you know their margins are so much better um from a production standpoint and and to be fair the, the quality is better you know yeah yeah the, no. the skate shoes that skate companies were making were not i mean I, I hate to paint it with a broad brush like that but across most of it they they're not great shoes compared to like you put on a pair of fucking nikes or a pair of adidas and they last they don't tear apart after skating them for two weeks you know right. so i mean that's all that's a genie that's not going back in the bottle but um i don't know, you know it's just it, sad you know 
Yeah, well, I'm not sure that there's still a huge segment of skateboarding that is not that. So I don't think I think that that you have to be kind of you can't just. Um, yes, but for a long time, independent represented that raw, aggressive like side of skateboarding, the crusty side of skateboarding. So to see them fold is like, oh shit, that's the you sunk the battleship, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, or you're or you're you you're believing in, in the wrong heroes or something like that. I mean, I'm not just I'm not wholeheartedly disagreeing with you, but I do think that um well it's it's creating space for new companies, I guess, that want to cater to that uh that side of, of the uh the milieu. Yeah, and were. that's all that's always gonna happen. That's those people, those um people who are out there looking for that um are always going to exist you know the the us as kids who only want to who want to be involved with something that isn't you know um a jock meathead thing not, no offense to anyone it's not intended it's just like you we were looking for something different right and something that wasn't everything everybody else was doing yeah and those those kids are always gonna be out there those those adults will always be out there right um and and you know they're just not gonna they're not they're not gonna be buying independent trucks this year you know so i yeah. think that's 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 good you know that's a good thing right right well um oh well there's one more thing that we definitely got to cover okay and that's uh chappelle Unforgettable. Oh yeah! Oh, that was so good. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, well, I, like, when are we gonna stop saying that about him? I hope never. But um, yeah, I uh, hope never too. Uh, I just I watched that, and I had already actually read an article about it before I watched the piece, and then of course I watched the piece, and it's like, well, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. of course I support you. Uh, but my question is for you and I in our generation that we were we were the perfect age for Chappelle show. Right. That was one of the only shows that you know guys like us when we were in our 20s would stop what we were doing to turn on the TV on a certain night of the week right. and watch. Um, probably the last time that's happened at least for you know for me that yeah, I outside of, outside of like live sporting events or whatever for sure. Right. Exactly. So I think they're, you know, people our age have a certain affinity for that show. Absolutely. Um, so when Dave Chappelle says, you know what, it would mean a lot to me if you don't, if you don't watch this until they, they pay me. Somebody like me can say, okay, yeah, that's, that's, I'm with that, you know, mm-hmm. primarily because I've seen all those episodes like 500 times. Right. And I don't need to watch Chappelle show. My question is, does that, does that mean anything to like, uh, you know, uh, the next generation that is just discovering that stuff through the streaming platforms? That's such a good question. I, they behave counterintuitively. I, when, when I say that they, I mean that this, the new, the youngest generation, you know, not, not the kids, but the 20 somethings that are around us right now. Um, and their way they consume media is very different than, than how we did. Um, but I do think most people respect, still respect artists and what they do because most of those folks are making things or entering the job market, you know, that kind of thing. So they, they respect the hustle and the drive. And I think when an artist says and explains it so well, you know, like he, he eloquently described his and, and, beautiful and, storytelling way that he yeah. has his anecdotes and metaphors were amazing. And the yeah. way his delivery was amazing um, as usual. Um, I think that you can't help but be moved, you know, can't help right. but be um, like, go, yeah, I hear you. Um, and I, it, it will be interesting to see. I think it's a metric that because you have to be determined. Like, I don't know that HBO has ever released um, viewership, you know, kind of stuff. I mean, maybe no. when they have a, they have something like Game of Thrones afoot, but I'm not sure that they have they've ever talked about how many views they get on. No, they don't talk about platforms. ratings. Yeah, like yeah, Netflix doesn't doesn't either. They either but order Netflix, a new season or they don't. You know. But Netflix pulled the pulled the. To hear off. him, yeah, to hear him like prop Netflix was you know that that obviously goes a long way, and I, it probably says a lot about the company that uh, other people were already thinking. Yeah, uh, but it just solidifies that, and I, yeah. I thought that's that's pretty cool. He's like they do. I forget his quote exactly. He's like, you know, they do what they say they're going to do and they pay me what they say they're going to pay me. 
you know? Right. And Absolutely. What else can you ask for in a, in a corporate partner? Yeah. Um, no, for sure. Sense. Yeah. Uh, no. And I think it, it makes sense in the context of the story too, where he's telling, he's saying, you know, especially where he had painted the picture that he's sitting in this room of lawyers and paid this lawyer to tell him what it means and had all these yeah. people looking at him and tell him this is the best deal he's going to get. So he signs it. And right. I, I think when you have, an artist of his stature and power and respect level from the audience telling you that story, you're going to have no choice but to um, listen and pay attention and, and, and hopefully change the way think those things are done. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's an interesting point because we all know that there are, there's a litany, an endless litany of people who have signed shitty contracts, right? Over the last hundred years, you know, for sure. ever since the record industry or the movie industry was a thing, people have signed shitty contracts. So yeah. he just happens to, he believes in himself enough. And that's a big part of it is the confidence, right? Yes. Um, and he wields the power to at least try, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe, you know, they don't lose streaming numbers, but he, feels like he has the power to say you know what yeah i signed a bad deal but you know this is bullshit yep no i i think i think that's the 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 power of the artist you know he brought prince up in this you know the why do you why do you think right. prince called himself the artist yeah. when he came back it's because that's how they refer to us in these contracts you know this is the 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 and you know the slave talk they use when they're referring to us in contracts right um and and i think it's something that people don't realize too that a lot of times artists are signing away like Chappelle brings up that he signed away his image and likeness and the name yeah. in, in perpetuity in the universe. Right. And, and, and I think people would laugh if they, if they got a contract that said that and they read that. Yeah. It's like but, the Scientology thing, right? The yeah, but yeah, totally. But that's the, <laughs> um, that's, that's what most artists that's what are it looking is. at. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, and most people don't know that. And I think so to have someone like Dave Chappelle elegantly explain it, eloquently excuse me explain it but elegantly as well yeah. um and then lay it out the way he laid it out i mean sure. that's how you get consumers to make different decisions right so my wife my wife and i were talking about this and she brought up an interesting parallel and that's the whole thing with um with taylor swift and what she's Here we go again. <laughs> undergoing with with like her you know her masters being sold and all right that. right 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 so there are a lot of similarities. Now, it appears that she's dealing with somebody who is intentionally spiting her. Um, well, that's the story she tells for sure. Right. That's that's her that's her narrative. Um, and I I don't buy a hundred percent. And I know you know maybe yeah, this well, is maybe this is another another topic. <laughs> Actually, you know what we should do? We should have Catherine come on and talk about it with us. Oh, I love that. She, I love she that. Knows she knows way more about it than I do. Sure, um, I know this. I know the story too. So I would love to, especially since she's a fan. I'd love yeah. to have that discussion. Let's let's do that. And we'll save most of the talk for that. But oh, awesome, yeah. So so my question is, does Taylor Swift have the juice with her fans to be like, don't don't stream these on Spotify? I think she does with like the um, the rabid fans, mm -hmm. but like how what. I'd be really curious to know what, like, and I'm sure her, her team knows what it is, but you know, what that, what those numbers are, yeah. because it's not everybody. And the, you know, the, these folks who own the masters and, and are making the majority of the money off of these, you know, Spotify listening and record sales, et cetera, um, are not, um, they're still going to make plenty of money. Yeah. Even if, even if you got those, that core audience to come off of it, the difference is that the Chappelle show, like, you're going to have some new people coming on, but the way he approached it, like he got to a lot of people with that, you know, not just you and me, not fans, but like to, to, to newbies, you know, that went out right, right on the right media platforms yeah. to get people who are not just the hardcore fans, you know? Right. So um, do you think is Neil Brennan still getting paid off? Off the Chappelle, Chappelle show. show um, I doubt it. Like I, if Dave Chappelle isn't getting paid that well, that like directors and stuff like that. I mean, it would depend on his credits and how they arrange like well, payment for those credits. Co-creator, I believe, is how. Yeah, but is Chappelle is the other creator, right? Yeah. So he, if he's yeah. not getting paid for it, I doubt right. Neil Brennan but is. But he, 
Chappelle Wright was the one that walked away. Neil Britton didn't walk away. So I, I just wonder if that plays anything into it. But I'd be I'd be really interested to know how that all played out. I don't yeah. I, it strikes me though as Neil Brennan is as close as they still are, that if Neil Brennan was still making money off of it, and, yeah, there and, would be a problem. There would be a problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I would yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and I also Neil Brennan doesn't strike me as the type of person to be like uh continue no, he, to enrich he himself works, off of that. He works pretty hard to like be project himself onto the right side of things if that yeah makes for sure well and, and I, I like neil brennan i i'm that's not a shot at him i i really loved that three mic special i thought it was um i thought it was really cool it was a unique um the the comedy stuff was good and the um the personal stuff was really profound i thought it was a really good special yeah yeah well and and it, i mean you, you know he he shows up i mean clearly uh dave Chappelle picked the people who would speak on the um, his Mark Twain um, acceptance show. Okay, yeah. And, and Neil Brennan is on that. And I mean, you can watch on Instagram, you can watch his his section alone by itself. Yeah. Um, but the, it's they have a clear, um, tight friendship still and, and reverence for each other. And I think yeah. if he if he wasn't um, like that, you know, if they weren't tight like that, I think that that would be a really good sign that, you know, um, yeah, he was still things collecting were a, a check from Comedy Central or for sure, whatever. for yeah. sure. Hey friends, if you enjoyed what you were listening to, then I feel it is my duty to tell you that we also have a YouTube channel. So if you'd like to see us in all of our glory doing reaction videos and talking about music and movies and lots of other things that we're completely unqualified to do, then head on over to YouTube and click that subscribe button for us. Thanks, and until next time. Ow!